Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. As our listeners know, I've been blind since birth, so I'm pretty well plugged into resources for people with visual impairments, how to do things in daily life, and just how to live with a vision problem. It's kind of natural for me. But when you lose your vision later in life, that transition can be quite a challenge. Hannah Fairbairn has had her own experience losing her vision as an adult and also worked for many years as an instructor at the Carroll Center for the Blind. Based on all of that, she's recently published a book entitled When You Can't Believe Your Eyes, Vision Loss and Personal Recovery. And we will be talking to her about some of the advice in that book. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Hannah Fairbairn. The tip of the week I had in mind was for your listeners to remember how much they've been through and how hard they've worked on their vision loss, on trying to manage with it and be really kind to themselves, be their own best friend and not get into self-criticism, you know, after they're working so hard on it. That's a great tip. It's very easy to get down on yourself, and really what you need to do in that situation is stay positive, look for other resources, and work with the people around you. Absolutely. Stay positive, but remember particularly how much you've already done and how hard you have to work at it, and you do work at it, and just be very compassionate to yourself. This is a hard thing. Great. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Hannah and learning about her background as a trainer of people with visual impairments. Hello, my name's Hannah Fairbairn. I'm 75, and I've recently published this book that we're going to talk about, so I'm very thrilled to be here. And um, I retired in 2016 mostly to get this book written because it just wasn't getting written when I was working. And we also moved across the country from Massachusetts to California to be near our children and grandchildren. You don't sound like you grew up in either Massachusetts or California. No, I did not. I grew up in the UK. And then uh, in 1990, we came to the US, where in fact, my husband had grown up. And originally, we were going to stay for a year. And now, you know, all these years later, we're still here. Many of our listeners and many of your clients at the Carroll Center have vision impairments. Do you? So I was born with partial sight cataracts. And then when I was 33, my good eye, the retina detached, but it's been stable, which is great. So now I can see colors and I can read absolutely huge print extremely slowly. So that's my vision. Now, you talked about being recently retired, 
But what you didn't tell people is what you retired from, and that has quite a lot to do with the book you wrote. Oh, it does. So I retired from the Carroll Center for the Blind in Newton, Massachusetts, where uh, for nearly 20 years I taught personal management, which is things like cooking and cleaning and also uh, managing grooming and dressing and the, your phone and blah, 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 your clocks and watches and all that. Um, and then also I introduced a program on interpersonal skills, which I'll talk a lot about later on because it's one of the major topics in the book. So the suggestions that we find in your book come a lot from your direct experience with both your own life and the experience of other people. Yes. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Hannah Fairbairn's new book about learning to live with vision loss. So before we get into some of the details of the book and how it's laid out, why don't we start by telling our listeners what the name of the book is? So the book is called When You Can't Believe Your Eyes, and the subtitle is Vision Loss and Personal Recovery. And what was the motivation for writing this book and putting it together? Well, it was working with all my students, you know, hundreds over the years, and they ranged in age from, I think the youngest was 13 and the oldest was well into her 90s, and recognizing that they were all needing what I needed too, which was these three things, knowing that there were phases in personal recovery, having a lot of good information in your pocket and at your fingertips. And also knowing how to use assertive speech in a friendly way. So let's discuss some of these issues you raised in a little bit more detail. First, you talked about going through various transitions. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? I began to realize that what had happened to me happens to just about everybody. Everybody, first of all, needed to know about the stages that many people, not everybody, go through in adjusting to vision loss, that there's quite a lot of stages that a lot of people go through. And if you don't know about it and you don't know, oh, I could come out the other end feeling like myself again, you know, in charge of my life, feeling good, uh, then you can rather easily get stuck. And so I thought that was really important, knowing what happens to a lot of other people and relating it to yourself. And then you talked about the need for information and knowing about resources. What are you thinking about there? The second thing that the book is about is getting information. So obviously, as we all know, you know, very essential information is not available easily to you. So the book is full of sections that are about one page long, and you can go directly to the section that you need and read up what I hope are lots of useful suggestions and lists 
about what you can do with the particular information that you need at that point. And then there's also a lot of resources at the back of the book. And you also talked about being more assertive and how you interact with people. The third, and in a way the biggest thing, is understanding how, and we kind of all know this, but it's not talked about much, that people who see well connect with their eyes and facial expressions and body language, and that during a conversation, they show their emotions and reactions and so on, not by speaking, although you can get quite a lot from tone, so much as by their expression and their body language and whether they're really looking directly at you or beginning to look away and so on. Um, And so we, the people who live with blindness or vision impairment, have to have ways to counteract this. Now, you can never really make up for it totally, but you can have a good shot. So this is really based on the idea of assertive speech, speaking up and asking in a firm and friendly way for what you need um, and not getting kind of um, put down by uh, the people you're with. This is, takes a lot of learning and practice. In my experience, I wasn't very good at it at all. But luckily, I had lots of practice with my students, and I've got much better. What I thought was interesting about your book is not only does it have useful hints and suggestions for people who have had vision problems for a long time, but it's particularly useful, it seems to me, for people who lost their vision later in life and weren't used to growing up being blind. I mean, you really start from the beginning and saying, this is going to be an uncomfortable situation for you. And here's what you want to know when you first see the doctor and he tells you that there's an issue with your eyesight. Yes. And as we all age, two things happen that are very relevant. One is that your state, which may or may not pay for much training for people who lose vision, pays for less once you're retired. And the second thing is that as we all get various aches and pains in our older adult years, there can be a tendency when you begin to lose vision to not take it too seriously. You think, oh, this is just another health issue, but actually, You have to take it very seriously, even if you still have fairly good vision, because if you start out and get yourself plenty of help in all directions, you can really uh, make a big difference to your quality of life and get back to going to events, having friends, being socially kind of fairly mobile, not perfect, of course. But if you just let it happen and kind of stay home and what some people call disappear into your family or your close friends, or even worst of all, get socially isolated, all of which can happen, that's a terrible outcome. So taking it seriously is very important. And knowing that sort of you just take baby steps, you take the first baby step, which is probably getting yourself a really good eye doctor. Another thing that I think is very important is in addition to getting the best medical care that you can, and oftentimes physicians won't 
mention this at all, but is to go to a place like the Carroll Center where you can get training in how to deal with the rest of your life now that your vision is changing and in many cases failing and and in some cases to completion. Yes, this is perfectly true. Eye doctors, ophthalmologists as they're called, don't like with a few exceptions, a very few exceptions, I should say, don't like to talk about failure. They are failing to preserve your eyesight. They don't talk about it much. And so you can end up not being told the next step. In fact, somebody uh, some years ago did a big study of barriers to getting what's called vision rehab or training after vision loss. And they found that a big one was the waiting rooms of eye doctors and ophthalmologists who did not tell them or did not advertise or say, you know, if your vision is failing, call this number or here are some good resources for you. They were never told. So this, I'm afraid, is still pretty true. And I remember we had a student at the Carroll Center whose husband had found the, she went to the Massachusetts Iron Ear Infirmary, you know, very famous place. And they never told her about the Carroll Center or anything else. And her husband found it online by looking up a magnifier for his wife. And he found, oh, look, down the street, like five miles away, there's this excellent training. And we never knew. Nobody told us. Yeah, that's one of our pet peeves. I mean, I think ophthalmologists, they're trained and they're geared towards solving some physical issue in your eye. But they really don't think about, okay, you have this amount of vision now. What accommodations can be made so that you can go about your life and do the tasks you need to do every day? They don't know about all these other assistive technologies and services, and they don't recommend those to people as easy as they are to find. This is not to say that you shouldn't go on going back for your annual or twice yearly checkup. You should and hear about any new treatments. But at the same time, you should be getting training and assistance and equipment. So in my book, one of the things that I talk about really is all our you know, I include myself, resistance to getting training. And I myself didn't want to get training immediately after I'd lost nearly all my sight. I was terrified and I didn't get it. And then luckily I got plenty much later on when I was working at the Carroll Center, I got a ton. And since we're not getting that type of help or advice from our ophthalmologists, maybe you can tell us what types of training are available to people. Training can be something like learning how to use a video magnifier correctly, or it can be having a rehab teacher visit your home and help you label your laundry equipment, your stove, your microwave, whatever, so that you can get back to doing things yourself. Or it could be a real program either a two-week program or, you know, a, a really long residential program, like 12 or 14 weeks. There's so much to learn. So in my book, 
there's really a lot about all kinds of training, how to pick a good place to train, what your options are, and what the kind of areas of training are, and uh, what to think about. Well, I think one of the things that's nice about your book is it's not intimidating at all for people who are going through this transition of losing their vision. You start out with some very simple suggestions and, and ideas, and as you point out, some people aren't quite ready for a full training program yet, but maybe just to learn how they can do the wash, how they can pour a cup of water if they can't see the water without spilling it and just interacting with some simple skills like that can make a huge difference. And then eventually they'll be ready for more training or maybe some technology solutions. So I think your book is very nice about walking people through the various options and helping them make that transition in a very easy way. Yes. People who've lost sight do get condescended to. I mean, we've all experienced people talk down to you and it's really appalling because people know so little about what you're going through. So I've tried really hard in the book to be very respectful of where people are and how much they feel like doing right now. I mean, I just remember myself so well, what happened and how resistant I was to doing things and how, but how determined I was to learn and keep on cooking. I was a cook before I lost sight, uh, more sight. So I was just determined to do certain things and did. So I just feel that people need a lot of support and help, and so do their families as they go through this. And what they need, like a hole in the head, is somebody not giving them the respect of where they're at at that time and what they can handle and what they're up for. Can you talk some more about the importance of getting your home life in order and family interactions? When they first come home at the end of, and you may not have been in hospital, but at the end of treatment, you know, or the first treatment, people can get stuck letting families kind of take over, continuing to use sighted methods. But that's a place where people get stuck, not determining that this is going to be a home that works for everybody, that the shared spaces like the living room, the kitchen and the bathroom are going to have to change, be less cluttered, not have shoes on the rug that might be trip wires, and they are going to have to change just a bit and then everybody has their own room so that you can walk freely and feel safe moving through your own environment. Yes, it should be a team effort. It's a team effort, yes. But I don't want to downplay what family go through because almost the most active part of my website, which I'll give the name of at the end, is particularly wives of husbands who've lost sight. And the wives are absolutely stressed out uh, trying to drive their husbands everywhere, help their husbands not get depressed. And meanwhile, the wife has totally lost her life, can't relax, has no time for leisure or her own friends or her own recreation, and is wondering, you know, how long she can keep this up. And I'm quite sure men do this just as well, but they just don't write to the website 
perhaps because I'm a woman running the website. But I'm very struck by what stress. Mm-hmm. And so that's where you need a little team. Three people as opposed to one just makes all the difference. A team of three taking care of different things in your life. And it helps you too because it keeps the relationships in balance. If one person's doing a whole lot for you, it's hard to keep the relationship uh, sweet and well-balanced between you know, spouses or partners or whatever. So you mentioned that there's an entire section of the book talking about the various phases that people tend to go through when they're first losing their vision or they've just lost their vision. And you talked extensively about denial, which we've heard about from many individuals. That's where they all started. Yes. What are the other typical phases? Well, the other ones are so disbelief and denial. And then it's extremely important and very difficult, speaking for myself, to grieve. Um, I mean, some people are much better at it than me. But, you know, I was brought up in England, stiff upper lip and all that. And it took me years to really grieve. So to allow myself to say it's okay to feel so angry and so afraid and all this sort of it is the losses are huge you have to kind of go through it you know you talk about grieving over vision loss and so many sighted people can't even begin to imagine what their life would be like without vision and many many people have cornered me because of course they don't have the nerve to ask Pete and basically they say well how can Pete be happy he's blind well you know my attitude is everybody has some challenge in life everybody has some difficulty that you know if they think about it hard they want to overcome and you got to take life as it is um you know just because you're blind doesn't mean you can't do some things you may have to do them in a slightly different way you may need a different accommodation But, you know, not everybody can run a seven-minute mile. That doesn't mean everybody should be depressed. So I I think it's just a matter of adjusting to what you can do in life and what you want to do in life. Find out ways to do it. Everybody can be happy in their own way. So apparently it's possible to get over the grieving stage. What's the stage after that? The next stage after that is when you are really sort of back on your horse you know you feel pretty good about yourself and you're beginning to see results of all your hard work because to begin with as you're putting all these new ways of managing your life into practice you feel crosser than a bear and slower than a snail but gradually it comes right and then you find that in being your own best friend, you, it actually makes you naturally friendly and easy with other people. And that's, you know, when you feel good about your life again. You feel like, oh, here I am. I'm back again. I'm a whole person again, minus the eyesight. And hopefully what's in your book can help people achieve that final state of acceptance and happiness and 
where they can get on with their lives and live a full, rich life thanks to the advice that you've provided. I do hope so. Thank you. Well, great. This was good. This is a very well-written book, I thought. You went through all the aspects of dealing with vision loss, particularly later in life, and it was clear that you have a lot of experience in this, working with other people, and uh, particularly your work at the Carroll Center. Nice job. Well, thank you. So the reason that the book is in such good shape is to do with my husband, who's a professional editor, making me put little stories in, cleaning up my prose, making sure that everything works well, you know, blah, blah, blah. He worked very hard on it. Kudos to another good team effort. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Great. Well, thank you very much, guys. I think this is a great job that you do. Thank Thank you, you. Hannah. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, success, success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about Hannah Fairbairn's book and other work, how to get the book, and how to contact her directly. So remind our listeners what the title of this book is and tell us where they can get the book. Yes. So the book is called When You Can't Believe Your Eyes and the subtitles Vision Loss and Personal Recovery. And if you want a print copy for a friend or because you can still read print, you can buy it on Amazon. And then it's now available, I'm delighted to say, on both talking books, uh, including Bard and on Bookshare. And if you, you know someone or you yourself are not ready to join or maybe you're not legally blind and so you can't, you haven't joined talking books or Bookshare, uh, you can buy a copy on Google Play Books, and then you can have it talk to you using other speech, using speech software, or you can just enlarge the print. And if, as many of us are soon after vision loss, if your finances have taken a huge nosedive or even a minor nosedive, you can apply to my website, fill out a very simple form or somebody could help you with it. It's extremely simple. And I will gladly send you a free copy of the Google Play Books version because I so want people to read it and feel encouraged. There's a lot in there. And if people had questions for you, is there some way they could contact you directly? Yes. You can contact me directly at Hannah. So H-A-N-N-A-H at and then V-L-P-R blog.com. The V-L-P-R is short for vision loss and personal recovery. So Hannah at V-L-P-R blog.com. And also on Facebook at vision loss and personal recovery. Um, Leave a comment there and I'll do my very best to reply to it. And you mentioned that you have a website also. Yes. It's called visionlossandpersonalrecovery.com, and you can also get there by putting in when you can't believe your eyes.com, but no apostrophe, just C-A-N-T, when you can't believe your eyes.com. 
And as our regular listeners know, all of that contact information can always be found in the show notes associated with the episode at our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. That's it for show number 2007. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking with Shelley Brisbane about this year's edition of iOS Access for All, an updated guide to the accessibility of iOS 13, her easy-to-follow reference book that details what you need to know to work effectively with iOS devices. See you all next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy, and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.